in your worship folder, there's a, there's a little outline to follow along, um, some verses and, and some fill-ins as well. Um, we're in a series. It's called You in Five Years. We're kind of wrapping it up today, and here's what we've done. In the first week, it was the who. Who do I want to be in five years? In 2014. When I say that, it's like, wow, that sounds like so far away. It's going to happen like that. Did I say 2014? You're right. I'm going backwards because, no, I can't change the past. That's a series we finished a few weeks ago. So, 2024. See, I can't even say it. It's so far into the future. 2024. Who do you want to be? Because it's very, it'd be very nice to say, oh, everything's going to be this and that and amazing, and yet we don't do anything to get us to that point because we just keep doing what they're doing. The second week, we talked about that, the whole why of it. It was about, it was inertia. And it's like, inertia, what does it have to do with anything? Inertia says this, an object at motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. That means if you should be um, out going for a walk and you're sitting on the couch, you are an object at rest. And it takes a lot to overcome that inertia. It's the same thing when we say, who, who could you be in five years? Who could you be five years from now? In order to see that, we have to overcome that inertia because it's either our best friend or our worst enemy. Once we overcome it, we are an object in motion, and we, we start then moving, and it's easier to keep moving, and that's what we talked about the third week. How do we do that? Remember, we saw the clip from What About Bob? It was baby steps. That's how we do it, little by little. That's how God does it in our lives, is little by little. We don't say, I'm going to be this in five years, and we jump at that right now. It takes a long time to get there, and we take little steps and little steps I like to think of it as taking steps that are almost too small to fail. It's just, I'm just doing this, but I know that it's going to get me here at this point. And then last week, uh, it was kind of the when. It's when um, common saboteurs appear. And we've tried to overcome that momentum, and we're taking our baby steps, and we're doing the right thing, but there are things that happen to all of us that get in the way of that, that try to stop our momentum that try to get us to stop, that get us back to where we started from. That was last week. If you missed any of those, you know, iloveourchurch.com, journeynorthchurch.com, either one of those places will take you. There's a link that takes you to where we have our sermons. They're all free. You can look at the, listen to them, look at the outlines. It's also on iTunes. This is week five, and we've, we've looked at the, the who, the why, the how, the when. This week is the what, but I'm not talking about what changes we want to see. I want to talk about what if. What if? And I want to ask the question, what if our five-year plans don't go like we planned? What if our plans fail? What if life happens differently than we thought? I don't know. Is that this that's maybe causing that? Is that better? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I want, to ask, I want to ask that question very seriously. What, what if our five-year plans, you know, we've thought about it, we've prayed about it, this is what God wants us to do, this is what I'm going to be in five years, this is who I'm going to be. What if they don't go like we have planned? What if our plans fail? What if life happens differently than we thought? What if? And I want to look at a passage of Scripture some people really love. 
Some people really hate it. Some people really love it and really hate it. It's funny because I mentioned it to a few people this week, and I got both, all of those responses. It's like, oh, I like that story. It's like, oh, I hate that story. And it's because of who we associate with in the story. That's, that's why. I think what I'd like to do is, I, I, it's very brief, and I just want to walk through the story, and I want to share in the story a couple features as we go that I believe will help us go a little bit deeper into the story, maybe see it in a light that we haven't seen before. We're going to see a few things below the surface like the original readers would have seen. Because when this story happened, it's a story, but it's a story of something that actually happened 2,000 years ago. When that was written down and the first people read that, they heard and they experienced and they got a certain thing from it. It was written in their language, and their language is not our language. It's a totally different thing. And we have it now, and it's a little bit different. And I, I want to get you into where they were when they first heard this story, more so than maybe you would get in just a casual reading of the passage. We've done this many times before. We actually do it on a regular basis, whether you're aware of it or not. And because you're a smart church, I have confidence in you. You're going to get this. So it's like this. If you want to emphasize something, okay, there, there are a number of ways to do that, right? Like, for instance, if you're speaking, you can say a word louder, and we know you're emphasizing it. Or you can say it softer. And it puts a different emphasis on the word. Um, When we're writing, we have to do that differently. And we can use italics. You can use bold and make it bold. You can underline it. You know, you can use a highlighter. There's a lot of different ways that we can emphasize something. But in the Bible, in, in God's written word, those things back then weren't options. They wrote, you know, like with a quill and I don't know if you know this, the New Testament was written in Greek, and when they wrote it, every letter was a capital letter. They didn't have breaks between the words. They just wrote and wrote, and when it got to the end of a line, they started down here, even if it was in the middle of a word, which we, if we did that, it's like, I have no idea what this is saying, but Greek's totally different language. And because of the word endings and because of the other things, they can do that, and it's perfectly, we understand what it said. In fact, they can do things we can't. If they want to emphasize the word, they can take it and put it at the beginning of the sentence. But the ending tells us where, what it is and what it means, but we know that it's being emphasized. So there's different ways they can emphasize things. And how can we translate that so that it could, that we can get those subtle things? How can we understand what's being said? I'm going to give you an example because I don't know if, if you're all believing me at this point. So four words up on the screen. I think Paul can. Okay? When I say that, I'm guessing there's a whole bunch of different thoughts right now as to what that means. If that's all we have is I think Paul can. What if... I had said this, I think Paul can. Now that's different. That means you may not think he can. He may not think he can, but I think he can. It changes the meaning of it a little bit. What if I say, I think Paul can? I don't know. I'm not really too sure, but I think Paul can changes the meaning just by changing the emphasis of the word. The next word is Paul. What if I said, I think Paul can? Now, all of a sudden, in our imaginations, we're bringing more people into the picture. Because it's not, there's other people. I don't know if this person or that person or this person or I can do it, but I think Paul can. That changes it. And we only have one more word, but if I emphasize that, it's even different. I think Paul can. 
So there was a question before. Not exactly sure, but I think he can. So just by having a different emphasis on the word, it changes the meaning of it. And if it's something that we're supposed to follow and obey, it changes how we would follow and obey it. So that's the emphasis. And then there are, I I hesitate saying this because some of you like your eyes glaze over when I say this. Don't. There are verb tenses. And I'm, so, I'm apologizing ahead of time. I'm not trying to make you feel like you're in school. You graduates, you're done. You're, you don't have to go back. You're done. Some of you have like a week left, and I'm sorry about that. But I just want to show you that there's more color in the Bible than you think. Because there's things below the surface that we don't necessarily get in English that were there that the original readers got. So, for instance, let's say, you know, it's time for the kid to do homework. And again, I apologize. Seniors, you're done with that, at least for a little while. The rest of you uh, kids, uh, you're not. But when I was a kid, here's what would happen. When it's time to do homework, here's what I would hear. Turn off the TV. Now, today it would be turn your phone off or, you know, whatever. Turn off the TV. Does that mean forever? Probably would have been a good idea. But it doesn't mean forever. The, the tense of that verb means now, at this point in time, turn off the TV. And if you don't understand that, it can mean a whole bunch of different things. Like, for instance, in a few days, some of the teachers are going to be saying to the students as they go, read books. Now, does that mean that they're supposed to sit down, take their backpack off, and start <laughs> reading a book? No, it means ongoing behavior. Totally different. That's what a verb tense does. You see the difference? If we get the wrong thing, we may be reading the wrong thing. We may be obeying the wrong thing. Little subtleties can often make a a big difference in how we understand and obey what the Bible says. So track with me. won't be long. It's very brief. We're going to dive in. Um, uh, We're going to look at starting at verse 32 in Luke chapter 10. It says this. Um, Now, as they were traveling along, they as the disciples and Jesus, um, they're on their way to Jerusalem. As they were traveling along, he, in this context, that's Jesus. You would know that if you read the verses before that. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, because we don't know what emphasis is there, we don't know what verb tenses are there, we don't know any of that. All it says is they were traveling along, he entered a village, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. You know what's so different about that? Nothing. It's just normal. That's how we would read it. But when we get, it has important details in it that we need to understand about whose home it was and who did the welcoming. But in the next verse, it says this. She, that's the Martha from the first verse, had a sister called Mary who was seated, they're in the house now, she's seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Now, if we read that, it'd be very easy to just keep moving on. So here's a picture. It's Martha's house. She invites him in. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his word. But... When he wrote this, he made this different than normal. When he said listening, he used a different tense. He used, it's, it's for those of you who need to know, it's the Greek imperfect tense. Here's what it means. It means use your imagination. Imagine repeated or extended activity like in a movie. Re- I mean, they didn't have movies back then, but you, know, you understand. You've you got to use your imagination. You're reliving the scene. And so when they would have read that for the first time, they would have seen that, oh, that's a Greek imperfect tense. That means I'm going to stop and think about what that looked like. Because literally what it's telling us is she's not there sitting his feet listening to him. Here is Mary at the feet of Jesus, 
hanging on every word. She is so actively listening to him. We're supposed to imagine this as repeated and prolonged, and we vividly imagine this context. So now those original readers have that picture of we have Martha invited in her home, but Mary's there sitting at Jesus' feet, and look at this. She's at his feet. She's hanging on every word, excuse me, that he says. And then we get verse 40, the but, but Martha was distracted. And he could have just said Martha was distracted, but he used the same Greek imperfect as the word listening. And he wants us to vividly imagine Here's what we have. Mary oh, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he has to say, hanging on every word, and here's Martha. She's distracted. In other words, she's not doing that. She's running around doing all these other things. She's distracted with her preparations. And so if we were the original readers reading that in Greek, we'd have these pictures in our mind now of what's happening, almost like we're watching a TV show, this movie, and we see what Mary's doing, we see what Martha's doing. And Martha, distracted with all her preparations, she came up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care? Now, I'm going to stop right there for a moment, because in almost every instance ever that this is ever said to Jesus, do you not care? The answer is, of course I care, right? Jesus cares. I got to say, I'm not so sure that was the answer this time. Because she says, do you not care? If she'd have stopped there, Jesus would have said, of course I care. But she says, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And I almost envisioned Jesus saying, not really. (laughs) And we'll get to that in a minute. But when she says this, these are her words now, so it's her choice of what she can say. And when she said serving, she used a different tense, a present tense, which means continued, habitual, constant action. She's just not saying, she let me do all the serving. She let me do all the serving, the serving and serving and this and this and this. And then she says, alone. That's contrast emphasis. We would not get that just reading that word. Contrast emphasis means this. It, spots, it spotlights what's not meant. So she says alone, what she really means is, Mary's not helping. <laughs> That's what she's saying. She's saying, I'm doing all this serving over, I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm doing it alone. Mary's not helping. <laughs> and then she says, then if, if you do care, then tell her to help me. Now, it's very easy to just read that, tell her to help me. Because up until recently, when I read this passage, and I've read it hundreds of times, I've always, it's like, what happened? Martha asked Mary, Martha asked Jesus to say something to Mary. That's really not what happened. Because what what Martha says is, when she says, tell, she again picked a different than normal tense. She picked the aorist imperative. That's just fun to say. Aorist imperative. Here's what it means. Check it off, man. Get it done. That's what she said to Jesus. If you care, do this. Tell her. She's not politely asking Jesus. She's saying, focus on the first opportunity to get this done, Jesus. Take care of this. I love his response. But the Lord answered, verse 41, and said to her, Martha, Martha. You're worried and bothered about so many things. Verse 42, he says, but only one thing. 
And Jesus then, when he spoke, he used that same contrast emphasis. Only one thing is necessary. In other words, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Only one thing is necessary. Not all those things. All that is not what's necessary, he's saying. Only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, the best thing. And again, Jesus used contrast emphasis there that we don't necessarily see in, in, in the English. And he's saying, we're, we're led back to she's chosen the best thing. There are all these other things. She didn't choose those. She chose this, which shall not be taken away from her. I love this story, and what I want to do is I just want to make a few observations about this passage that might help in our understanding of it and how it applies to the whole what if of your you in five years. Some of these observations were just kind of background for me, but they play a little into the flavor of the passage and how I personally interact with it. You'll notice Martha appears to be the owner of the house. And by the way, this is Mary and Martha. You've heard Mary and Martha before, and whenever we hear of Mary and Martha, there's always a third one added into that. Guy named, you've heard his name before. His name is Lazarus. Their family, brothers and sisters, the guy who got, he was raised from the dead. He's part of that, although he's not mentioned in this story. But this is where we find out that Martha's the one who actually owns the house. So probably the older sister, she owns the house, and she's the one that did the inviting. She didn't have to do that, but she said, Jesus, I want you to come in, the disciples to the house, I'll take care of things, we'll have some entertainment, this is what we're going to do. And she opened her home up to Jesus and the disciples, and she welcomed him and them into her home. So what happens next? I don't really know what happens next. I know what the text says next. But the truth is, we don't know for sure every fine little detail. We go from her inviting to we have this scene with Mary at Jesus' feet, hanging at every word, and Martha all distracted, complaining about it. All we know is that that's what Luke records, but there are details in between that. And we learn um, Mary is Martha's sister. She sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he said, as I said, hanging at every word. Then we read Martha's distracted, and we're supposed to be vividly imagine that as well. Here's something to note that I think is a very good possibility in terms of what happened. And we get this from the language and how it's worded. Martha may have been listening to start with and was drawn away. She was pulled away by all the things that needed done. She started at Jesus' feet, but she was pulled away by the things that distracted her. Mary, because of the way it's worded, may have been working. You know, Martha, the older sister, gives her a checklist. I want you to do this, this, and this. And maybe Mary's like, boop, 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 gets it all done real quick and then sits at Jesus' feet. Mary could have been working and then whatever happened drew her away from that work to Jesus. So we get a picture here of one drawn from Jesus and one drawn to Jesus. So we can picture Martha busily trying to get everything done for this gathering. But it seems like she was putting the emphasis on the preparations and not on who she was preparing it for. Are you so busy doing things for Jesus that you're not spending any time with Jesus? Don't let your service become self-serving. Martha's concern seems to have been that she had to work alone more so than that she couldn't sit at Jesus' feet. 
She didn't ask to be able to come back and sit at Jesus' feet. She actually could have done that anytime she wanted. Just stop doing what she's doing and sit at Jesus' feet. She asked Jesus to make Mary leave him and come help her. She made a choice, and she wanted Mary to help her with her choice. And Jesus answers her gently but firmly. He repeats her name. That's actually a term of endearment. When he says, Martha, Martha, it's, we could translate that, Martha, dear Martha. It's not like when I was a kid and I screwed up, because I, I don't anymore, but when I was... <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> Here's what I would hear. Tim, Tim, with the head shake and the tone. And, I, and that's vivid because I probably do still hear that quite often now. That's not what Jesus was doing. He tells her, Martha, dear Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Now, here's a twist. I read this in this really old commentary. Um, a commentator suggested this years ago, and, and it's kind of fascinating to me. Maybe, maybe Martha was trying to make like a seven-course meal. And Jesus is saying, we don't really need all of that. All of that is not necessary. He says, only one thing is needed. And it's kind of like, I personally picture Jesus saying, how about if we order pizza and talk while we eat? (laughs) Then everybody's involved. That's what I see him saying. You know, or maybe how about just a sandwich would be good enough, Martha. We'll just have a sandwich and we'll sit here and eat. And you're going a little overboard, Martha. It's entirely possible that that's what was happening. I'm actually trying to cut Martha a little slack because in this story, she always gets the bum rap. She's always the bad guy in this story. We could do all kinds of speculating and wondering all well and good, but I actually just want to focus on something that applies to every single one of us as we look towards making choices to make the you in five years good. Martha's choice was good, but it was temporal. Is it good to prepare the the meal and, and get everything ready? Yeah, it's good. But that choice is temporal. That means it doesn't last. That was a very brief thing. Mary's choice, Jesus said, was the best because it's eternal. If you're taking notes, on your notes, the first thing it says is, I want you to notice is, it seems very basic. There is a choice. See, there is a choice. You say, this is what I'd really like to be in five years, but I can't. You can because there's a choice. That's the first thing you need to notice. We all have choices. We're going to choose what to do. You get to choose the baby steps that move you towards your preferred future. If five years from now, you suck, don't come back to me and say it's my fault. Who chose those steps? I didn't choose your steps. See, Martha's choice was good, but it was temporal. It didn't last. Mary's choice was the best tells us in verse 42 it was eternal. Here's how it says it. It's what can't be taken away. That's your next fill-in. See, there's a choice, and what we need to choose is what can't be taken away. So what can't be taken away is obviously the best choice. So what can't be taken away? The time we spend with Jesus. That's what this passage is telling us. 
The time we spend with Jesus sitting at his feet, hanging on every word. The time we spend growing in our relationship to him, knowing him better and loving him more. Those are choices. I've told you this many times, before my feet hit the floor, when I get out of bed in the morning, I always try to say, Jesus, I want to know you better and love you more today. And then when I'm done at the end of the day, if I know him better and love him more, the day was a success. I want to choose what can't be taken away. That's the best. That's why we say all the time, Jesus, coffee, repeat. (laughs) And you say, I don't like coffee. Then have tea, have water, have prune juice. I don't care. Some of you look like you had prune juice. The point is, Jesus and repeat are the most important things there. That's the best. There are other good things that need done. I understand that. We have to do those. But are we doing those things to the exclusion of the best thing? Here's the thing. I pray you make your choices for the you in five years and that you start your baby steps and that little by little you become an object in motion and you move towards a you in five years that will be amazing. So much so that the you in five years in 2024 looks back and sees the you of 2019 and says, I don't even recognize that person. Because here's what God did to me. Can you believe it? The spider hanging on that web. I hate spiders. <laughs> blowtorch. Get the blowtorch out. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's very possible that five years from now, you could be looking back and say, look how far I've come. But it's also entirely possible that a what if will happen. Because we don't have control over everything. What if our five-year plans don't go like she's scared of spiders too? (laughs) What if our five-year plans... Don't go like we planned. What if our five-year plan fails? What if life happens differently than what we thought? What if? What if life doesn't go the way we planned in five years or three years or even in one week? We have to choose what we're going to do. Get this. Ahead of time before life gets out of hand or happens not the way that we had planned. We have to choose ahead of time to listen to Jesus, to surrender to him, to follow him, to worship him, to be with him. It's saying no matter what, even when I hurt, even when life hurts, I will praise my Savior. And it's making that decision to train for the trial that you're not even in yet. You're preparing for something that's going to happen. And to purpose in your heart what you're going to do when life suddenly changes. Instead of being totally unprepared. You see, I believe pretty much everybody has experienced this in here to some degree or another. When things go sideways, here's what I notice too often we spend all of our time asking why 
or whining or complaining. Here's what I know. If something happens and life goes sideways and your five-year plan doesn't work the way you think, all of us are really asking and saying the same thing. We're saying none of us asked to be here. This wasn't the plan. I have some people that are going to help me pass some things out. And, and you have to do two things at once now. Everybody in here is going to get something. We don't take an offering. We have boxes in the back for that for journeying our church people who, to give. Um, but everybody in here, I want to have one of these. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about that. So don't get all you know, hung up on reading it or anything right now. While you're getting that, I actually want to read you quotes. Two of my favorite people. Actually, two of my favorite authors. I never met them. I had the privilege of standing on the, the gravestone of one of them. Um, but the first one, you may recognize this quote. Um, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. From the Fellowship of the Ring, Tolkien wrote this. All of the stuff with the ring, if you've not seen it, you need to see it. It's amazing, or read it, either way. But all this bad stuff that happened because of it, he said, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. Just like it's not for us to decide. We say none of us ask to be here in the middle of whatever you're in the middle of. That's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. We have to make that choice ahead of time. And we have to focus on Jesus ahead of time. The second quote is actually from a friend of the guy who wrote the first quote. The first quote is Tolkien, a movie coming out about him shortly. I cannot wait to see it. The second, the second quote is by C.S. Lewis, a friend of Tolkien. Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must either be true or false. Now there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I am going to live forever. Think about that. There are so many things that we do And we put so much time and effort and energy into them. There are so many things that we are distracted by, like Martha. And we're preparing for something that's not going to last. And we have forever that we should be preparing for. So what you just got is this piece of paper. I'm going to explain that right now. Thank you for asking. It says at the top, May 2019. That's now. Dear, and I'm going to fill this out this week. You're going to fill yours out at some point this week. Um, I'm going to write, Dear Tim, in five years. You're not going to write that unless your name is also Tim. (laughs) Dear Tim, in five years. And I'm going to write a letter to me in five years. I'm going to, this is what I believe God is telling me. This is what I'm going to choose. This is what I'm going to do because this is what I want to be in five years. And I'm going to sign it, yours truly, Tim from 2019. 
And I want you to very seriously and prayerfully consider this. You're the only one who's going to see this. I want you to very seriously consider this. I know that many of you wish that this could be a dear Tim from five years ago because (laughs) there's so many things that I could have possibly avoided if I'd have known such and such. We can't do that. But we can make choices to make sure that the us in five years doesn't look back with regret in the same way. And then you're going to do this. When you're done filling it out, you're going to take it and you're going to fold it like this and like this into thirds. And it will look just like that up there. And the thing that we'll be showing, I'm going to tape mine shut when I'm done. And it's going to say, do not open until May 2024. Unless you know what if happens. Because depending on what happens, you may want to look at it. But we're making choices ahead of time. Before it hits the fan. Before the scubula hits the fan. (laughs) So that when life happens like that, when the what if happens, we are prepared to walk through it with Jesus. Because we've spent time with him and know him better. So I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, I just, I, I want to I pray over every single person that's listening to this today as, as we're thinking about our futures. We're looking into the future, and I pray, Father, that you would just, you would overwhelm us with, with just this simple fact. Our relationship with you is the one thing that cannot be taken away. And I pray that at that five-year mark, that we would be so strong in our relationship with you that nothing would take us down. That nothing that's, that, that happens that's not going according to our plan would take us out because of our connection with you, our relationship with you. Because we would be clinging so tightly to you, Jesus. And my prayer is that anybody listening to this right now, they, they're not sure what that even means to cling tightly to Jesus because they don't know Jesus. It's been about church or religion or, or just rules or just some stagnant thing that maybe has even burned them in the past. And they don't know that there is a God whose answer to them is, yes, I do care more than you could ever imagine. I love you so much that I willingly gave my life on the cross for you. As we celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, Father, we also celebrate the fact that there was another who gave his life for our freedom. That on the cross, Jesus said, the wages of sin is death, and I haven't sinned, but you have, and I will willingly pay your sin price. And that by coming to Jesus, we can have that relationship with God restored. We can have that peace with God restored. We can have forgiveness for our past. We can have meaning and purpose for life today and a living hope for the future. And my prayer, Father, is that that would be our choice, that that would be our first choice to come to you, knowing that that's something that can never be taken away from us. And then once we're there, our choice is to spend time at your feet, hanging on every word, getting to know you better and love you more. Thank you, Father. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do through these choices. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. Didn't that just fit exactly with what I just said? You know what's so funny? That wasn't a song they were going to do today.
They had no idea what I was going to do, and they switched up and put that song at the end. I didn't even think about it until first service they played, and it's like, that was just my sermon. (laughs) Where I go, I go with you. So that come what may, it doesn't matter. (laughs) See, there's a choice. And you need to choose what can't be taken away. So let me ask you this. When you're filling out or when you're thinking about how you're going to fill that out, the you in five years, what are you going to say to that you in five years? Was part of your choice what can't be taken away? It's my granddaughter. (laughs) She's concerned that part of her choice would be taken away. (laughs) Let me read you this from John in closing. He says this, there's a group of people that Jesus fed miraculously, and they kind of followed Jesus around, and Jesus knew they were following around because, hey, free meal. (laughs) And here's what he says, don't waste your energy striving for perishable food like that. He's not saying don't eat. He's saying focus on the right thing. Work for the food that sticks with you, food that nourishes your lasting life, food the Son of Man, that's Jesus, provides. He and what he does are guaranteed by God the Father, to last. Amen. That's Amen. what we want. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, demonstrated so vividly uh, on the cross, giving your life for us to pay for our freedom. Father, we thank you for that. Those, Father, who don't know that, my prayer would be in simple faith they would turn to you today. And, and with what they understand today, just say, I don't get all this, but by faith, I'm going to believe that what Jesus did was for me. I'm going to claim Jesus as my Lord and my Savior and come to know him better. And then, Father, um, today and tomorrow, I pray that we would also um, remember those who gave their lives so that we could be free here in America. That we would, we would celebrate that fact, but that we would be able to pause and say thank you. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.